HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by the International Culinary Center, offering courses that range from classic French techniques in culinary, pastry, and bread baking to Italian studies to management, from culinary technology to food writing, from cake making to wine tasting. For more information, visit culinarycenter.com. Hey, 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 I'm Jimmy Carboni from Beer Sessions Radio. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Want more Instagram followers? Get pro tips on building a better Instagram feed on this episode of Tech Bytes coming up now. God, I love that song. That is Nomad a CPU track by DJ Uptown Nico, and that is the theme song to Tech Bytes, the Heritage Radio Network show where we talk about the intersection of food and technology. And that's not Immersion Circulators and Sous Vide. That's the really fun call-in show with Dave Arnold called Kitchen Matters. Our technology is digital, web, apps, and social media, things like Instagram. I'm your host, Jennifer Liuzzi, and every Monday at 1 p.m., we talk about all these great things from the shipping container in the backyard of Roberta's Pizza in Bushwick, Brooklyn. Today on the show, we have a great full-packed house for our Instagram boot camp episode. We have Gilly Houston. She's an editor at Yahoo Food, and she has an amazing beautiful, exciting, dynamic Instagram feed of over 40,000 followers. Hello. (laughs) Thanks for coming out today on a school day, no less. And we also have in studio Michael Harlan Turkel, who some of you may recognize the sound of his voice from his show, The Food Scene. He's a professional food photographer and interestingly is one of the first Heritage Radio hosts, and we can't see him. (laughs) <laughs> well, I'm usually we behind the him. lens. Yeah. yeah. Listen, thanks for having me. Oh, it's a pleasure. So he's going to be giving us some pro tips on actually taking good photos. And then, of course, in the booth today, we always have an engineer. Today, the role of Jack Inslee will be played by the <laughs> amazing and wonderful Liz Smith. Hello, hello. Happy to see you on a Monday. Yeah, well, we're all prepping for the big blowout party going on later, so all hands on deck. That's right. That is to celebrate the launch of the new HeritageRadioNetwork.org website, which is nothing short of spectacular. So I encourage everybody to check it out and uh, give it some love. And there's a lot more interactive-ness on it where you can send tweets and comments and all that kind of stuff. So it's really good. The first thing we do on Tech Bites is we start off the episode like a great meal with an appetizer. And we all kind of go around the room and talk about apps that we love, just discovered, sometimes old favorites. Michael, do you have an app that you're really using a lot right now? Oh, we're we're not talking appetizers as in food. We're talking Mm -hmm. about actual apps. Mm -hmm. Because I was going to tell you Duck Hearts. Oh, okay. No, it's, it's, I, I guess I'm too clever that yeah. <laughs> it's not clear yeah no apps um, like there's an app for that you know i i 
I'm going to jump into the whole Instagram game already. I actually just started using layout. Okay. Um, which is spectacular. And being a photographer that kind of worked in photojournalism and reportage, it wasn't just about a single image, which I think Instagram is often about. It's about sequencing and series. So layout gets you, uh, you know, it gives you the ability to conflate that and have, you know, a diptych and a triptych and multiple images within one space. So Layout is the free app created by the Instagram folks, which is basically a collaging app where you can piece together more than one photo, two photo, three photo, or you can put multiple versions of the same photo up together. It's kind of fun. It's neat. It's good. It's perfect. Relevant. Gilly, do you have an app that you really like now? Sure. Um, Well, really like... First, I'll say a new app I discovered. It's called Like a Local. And I think it's a really interesting concept because it actually curates sort of these travel tips from locals. So when you go somewhere, it's not just you're not just hitting the touristy spots. And I wish I had discovered it like three months ago because right after I graduated in May, I went on a month long European trip, you know, as us 20 somethings are so want to do nowadays. And, um, yeah, it would have been really great to have because you actually download it and you can, it's free to download and you can buy for like two ninety nine, I think, um, local city guides and then you can use it offline. So if you're in Copenhagen or you're in Reykjavik, it's, it's not going to be using your international data. You can just download those maps and have all these cool tips right there. Um, and then the app that I use all the time that I'm totally obsessed with is Snapchat. Um, it's probably my favorite form of social media. No offense to Instagram. I know we're on the Instagram mm-hmm. show. But, um, yeah, I could talk probably a whole another Tech Bytes episode about Snapchat. So if you have that in mind. Um, we can maybe do that a little bit later in the year. Sure. Snapchat is something that comes up all the time, mm-hmm. um, not just in terms of people using it, but it's also one of the new frontiers in terms of companies using social media for advertising and presence and connecting with their constituency. Snapchat is definitely on the rise in terms of corporate accounts. And I I have a million thoughts about companies that use it well and companies that don't use it well. And um, I think it's a really great, now that I think Instagram's becoming almost a little more corporate and a little more removed from people's personalities, I think Snapchat's sort of the new way to really get a personable insight into someone's life rather than just, you know, scrolling through now that everyone's just so, you know, on autopilot sometimes on Instagram and just tap, 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 tap. Um, You know, I think Snapchat is now the new way to make people really get a legitimate, intimate look into your life and what's going on. Okay, great. Well, everybody check the Tech Bytes HRN social media feeds for that upcoming episode on Snapchat (laughs) boot camp. If you're a Snapchat expert, get in touch and uh maybe we can put you on the show too yeah we'll see how today goes and then (laughs) we'll reconvene after after this episode exactly liz do you have a app that you like usually bring something musically oriented to the table i know this week however i'm directly influenced by i have family in town visiting so Right now, I'm at the station, and I've had to set them loose in New York City. So what has saved me as far as saying, hey, stop here, grab a bite, is the Infatuation app. Mm -hmm. So rather than sending them off with random Yelp reviews, which can be very addicting to read through, but as far as realizing, well, if you're in this neighborhood, or you're in this neighborhood, or what would be perfect for mom and dad, you don't want to send them to some crazy place. The Infatuation has wonderful reviews that I've come to know and trust and I feel are pretty honest and and to the point as far as good places sorted by neighborhood or you can sort them by event. So it's really come in handy for me this week. That's perfect. Is it New York City centric? Do they have other cities? They do have other cities, mostly the the big heads, uh, I think Chicago, L.A., so forth. But uh, definitely, definitely New York is where it's at. So that's the app from the Immaculate Infatuation yes, website. Though they, they have gotten hip and just shortened it to <laughs> the Infatuation. Well, they were always hip from the <laughs> yeah, beginning. True, yeah, true, they true. were, you know, the two of them, it's two guys who got together, Immaculate Infatuation. It was a website. They reviewed spots and things. They have events. They curate their own experiences. And I, I would say they've always been hip. Mm-hmm. Well, I like it. I love it. I'm going to keep using it. Excellent. So Instagram will seg from the Snapchat into the Instagram. It's popular, you know, it has 300 million active accounts per month. 
30 plus billion photos shared, two and a half billion likes every day. 70 million photos get uploaded per day. And that's a Crazy. lot of people and a lot of photography. So <laughs> I think it's safe to say that Instagram's pretty popular. It seems pretty simple to use also. You put in a picture, you take a picture, you post it, you follow people, people follow you, and, and they like it. Um, but like everything else, it's sometimes hard to figure out what to do to really become popular. You know, social media is kind of like life. What is it that makes someone the most popular person in the room or in the party or in the neighborhood? So we have today two experts, one in the actual art of photography to help us out with like, what are those filters? What does structure mean? <laughs> what is sharpen and all those things? And then Gilly to talk to us about how you build a, a community of people to follow what you're interested in. Because today, you can use that following to benefit your cause, your, your business, your product, things that you like that are important to you. And you can be discovered by companies and translate those followings into money. It's amazing. There are people who get paid to post yoga photos every day. Mm -hmm. So, Gilly, how did you get started doing Instagram? How long have you been on it? Well, I would say I've probably been on Instagram pretty much from the very beginning, you know, and I remember when it was very, you know, a ragtag group of people sort of posting really bad images. And, and for a long time I was posting and I loved it, but um, I had a, a bad phone. The, my images were very low quality. So I say I really got my big start on Instagram, I would say last summer, I think last June, I got my first iPhone. It's actually still the iPhone I have. I need an update. but um, And that's sort of when my photography, I always thought I had a good eye for it, but just a bad camera. So I thought my photography started getting better and I, and I just got hooked on it because it just, I was like, oh, look at these beautiful things you can create. And also that's about the time that I discovered the editing app that I love and use and will preach to everyone about, um, which is Visco, V-S-C-O, Cam. And it's a fantastic editing app. And if you are taking food photos or really any photos, um, and I think most food Instagrammers use this app. And um, I just remember the very first photo I edited with Visco. It was like a slice of pie at our Memorial Day barbecue. And I was like, this is gorgeous. Like, this is art. Someone should hang this on a wall. And I was like hooked from that moment on. And I was like, this is it. I'm going to do it. And then here we are. So you posted the beautiful pie picture <laughs> and many others after that. Do you recall how many followers you had at that point in time? Oh, probably, I don't know, 400. So how do you get my from, friends? <laughs> how did you get from 400 to 40,000? Well, you know, it's all about engagement. It's about community. Um, People and say those words all totally. the time. We read about them. We hear about them from, uh, you know, even in a professional sense, mm -hmm. in terms of advertising and marketing, and then just and they're kind in, of vague. And yeah. What What do you What sure. do you mean when you say engagement? Yeah. Totally. Well, first of all, hashtags. The The thing people always want to ask. Well, first of all, they ask, "How do I get followers?" And I'm like, "Well, that's a little complicated." And then they ask, well, "How do you feel about hashtags?" And I think hashtags can either be the most amazing, beneficial tool in your Instagram toolbox, or they can be totally useless. And the fact of the matter is, 99.9% .9 of people aren't using hashtags intelligently, unfortunately. And for example, if you post a picture of that beautiful apple pie and you hashtag hashtag apple hashtag pie hashtag baking hashtag summer hashtag barbecue. Most likely those generic little terms, at most you're going to get a couple likes from people just scrolling through randomly. On a good day, maybe one follow. That's not how you use hashtags properly. So if that's what you've been doing, stop. It's kind of pointless. Sorry to tell you that. What, where the real benefit lies in hashtags is community-based hashtags. We were just talking about the infatuation, and I love the infatuation too. I use their app. I go on their website. I think they're great guys, and like you said, they're very hip, and they understand what young people want out of a food review site. And they have a hashtag, hashtag eats, with five E's, A E E E A T S, and 
that was sort of the first community hashtag I started using. And there are a few others out there that are really big. Hashtag feed feed for the feed feed. Um, hashtag F52 grams for food 52. And when you hashtag those things, it does sort of two things for you. The first is that you have the chance of getting regrammed by these sort of major people. And that's sort of the, these regrams are sort of the golden egg for getting followers. Because when I started out, I cannot emphasize how much it helped to get a regram from infatuation or a regram from travel and leisure or food and wine who have their own seasonal hashtags um, or a regram from the feed feed. And when you get a regram from these people, it gives other people who follow them, their hundreds of thousands or millions of followers, even in some cases, um, the chance to be introduced to you. And so if you have beautiful photos, people are going to follow you. And sometimes when you get posted on one of those sites, you'll get 300 followers just like that. And, you know, which is obviously an amazing feeling waking up and sometimes being like, oh, my gosh, I remember that first time I got regrammed by Travel and Leisure, who don't post as many food photos anymore, but they used to post more. And I just remember that it was like a pancake photo. And I woke up to like 400 more followers than I had had the night before. And I was like, whoa, like what happened? Freaking out. I posted about it on Facebook and was like, look at ah. Um, so that's that's the first thing those hashtags do is it is it introduces you into those communities. And the more you hashtag them, the more they're going to notice. And I know this now because in addition to my account, now working for Yahoo, I do all of our curation for our Instagram. And so I ask people to hashtag Yahoo Food, and you should all do it if you're listening, and maybe I'll repost your photos on our account. But when, when someone hashtags us all the time, I'll notice, and I'll repost it. So the more you do it, the more those people will notice, and the higher your chances of them you know, sort of taking you into their community. And the second thing that happens when you hashtag is that you really do get to know other people. If you're interactive with it, if you click on the Eats hashtag, and you're liking these photos, and you see a beautiful photo and you click on it and you comment on it and you like that person's account and you follow them, they might follow back and they might comment back. And that's when you start to build these relationships and you start to build this community and people see you as an active member. And that's also, I think, what a lot of people think is special about Instagram is it does have these sort of tight-knit communities where I can have people who I consider close friends in Los Angeles or Colorado or Alaska or, you know, England, who I've never met, but I feel like I know them through Instagram, and we've interacted enough that I feel comfortable calling them a friend, and that's sort of what's miraculous about it as a social platform. So the hashtag game, mm -hmm. the idea is not using sort of generic category words like pie, which has over, you know, hashtag pie has, sure has. over two million yeah. images, and that's sort of just like a dictionary listing. Mm -hmm. You're going to get lost in that fray. But if it's very specific, like hashtag Yahoo food, these are people who are interested specifically in one point of view. And so you'll find groups of like-minded people. Mm -hmm. So it's taking the universal and bringing it down to sort of the granular and the individual. Mm -hmm. And then because people care more about those subjects, that's when you get more followers and regramming and that kind of mm -hmm. thing. You know, they talk about using custom hashtags a lot for personal special events. If someone's getting married or has a birthday party, you know, you would hashtag Gilly's birthday or hashtag, you know, Harlan's anniversary. And then people participating in that would post their photos and the hashtag and then that's how you can find them all. So I think it really is taking our personal interaction and then putting that out into a more public space. Mm -hmm. Totally. I've heard... Um, there are some people who you see on their Instagram feeds where they have, you know, three inches down of hashtags of every single conceivable hashtag you can imagine. Mm -hmm. I think it's hashtag overload. Yeah. I definitely sometimes feel hashtag overload. And a lot of people will try to add it to their comments so it doesn't necessarily crowd their feed. I personally only, if I do hashtag now, I use a handful of hashtags. I, I still use eats. I still use feed feed. Um, Eater has a hashtag now. Um, I think the things that, that you know will work for you. And if you're out there and you're wondering if you have a certain niche, if you're really into home cooking or you're really into eating out and you're wondering what are, the hash what are these community hashtags that I should be following, go to an account that you really respect and admire and have a lot of and who has a lot of followers. And you can even see, um, you know, the hashtags that they're using. I know Dennis Prescott, who has a huge, I think, 
you know, probably 200,000 by now. I don't even know. I haven't checked recently. Um, he's a food photographer. And I remember when I started following him last summer, he was at like 5,000 followers. And now he's just blown up. But he's still hashtags. And, and he uses a very selective network of hashtags that I'm sure are communities because he's from Canada. And it'll be like, hashtag Canadian home cooks. And hashtag, you know, and I'm sure that those are active communities that we just don't even know about. So you never know if you're listening out there and you're, you know, from Idaho. You never know. You could hashtag Idaho cooks, and that could be a whole community that you didn't even know was out there. Michael, how's your hashtag game? Well, it all started with not my cat, just because <laughs> I, I don't think I understood social media at first, and especially the hashtag. Um, but now that I've grown to embrace certain things, I've, I've realized that it's kind of like the company Kodak. The more abstract that hashtag or name is, because Kodak has no relevance to the photo industry. They call themselves the photo company. They, they would be this kind of, you know, amorphous thing that people didn't really associate or attach to. And I think either the more abstract or more singular, you know, specific a hashtag is, uh, the more people follow or quirky, you know, not my cat. It was just because I saw, saw a cat that wasn't mine and I didn't know what else to say about it and really i only have a few revolving hashtags i have that i have mason today which is my cat um so mainly they're cat based and then of course food radio for anything we do here at heritage um in searching for hashtags too you know like like jilly said you you can click on pie and you have millions of pies but if you ki- click on you know food radio it's specific to you know certain things mainly heritage thankfully um but you know you want something that is direct that is a community you know that that aggregates and is archivable um but you you kind of want to be able to bookend rather than just let people loose uh running around trying to find pie (laughs) maybe we need hashtag podcast pie pie on podcast Mm -hmm. (laughs) well this is a, a great moment to take a break and hear some new music from Vesa and listen to a tag from our sponsor, the International Culinary Center, which is a great place to go if you think you want to learn to make pie and be a pie professional. You still paying attention? Are you there? Hello, 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 hello. I'm talking to you. Hi. Hey, this is Jack Inslee. I'm the executive producer here at Heritage Radio Network. I've been here at the station since 2009, and I cannot believe just how much this network has grown over that time. We've been able to grow because of donations from people like you. So if you're enjoying this, if you laughed, if you learned something, contribute anything a dollar two dollars ten dollars a hundred dollars a thousand dollars anything counts and trust me we'll appreciate seeing your name come through on the donations so consider visiting heritageradionetwork.org click on that little beating heart the donate button and show us you care thanks for listening i hope you enjoy the rest of the show the International Culinary Center is a proud sponsor of the HeritageRadioNetwork.org. The ICC, with locations in New York and California, provide cutting-edge education to future chefs, restaurateurs, and wine professionals. We're proud to claim Dan Barber, Bobby Flay, and David Chang among our honored alumni. This is Dorothy Can Hamilton from Chef Story. Check out our ICC website at InternationalCulinaryCenter.com. Well, if you were wondering what the hell you clicked on, this is Tech Bytes on the HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Every Monday afternoon at 1 p.m., we talk about the intersection of food and technology. Today, that technology is Instagram, and we're in studio with Gilly Houston from Yahoo Food and Michael Harlan-Turkel, fellow Heritage Radio show host. He's got a great show called The Food Scene, and he is also a professional photographer and has beautiful, beautiful work. A lot of it around chefs and food and the culinary world, books, events, people. Instagram is a very obviously visual visual piece of social media, and having a beautiful photo is, is part of what it is. As a professional photographer, do you actually take all your photos on your phone and then post it? I've heard that most professional photographers 
take their beautifully professionally retouched photos and then get them onto their phone and then upload it to Instagram. I mean, rarely do I do that. And if I ever would, I would say something about it. Um, just because I've, I use Instagram as, as a tool aside from my professional photography career. Um, it alludes to things, but it isn't necessary that, you know, it isn't that post-produced. It isn't that output that comes out of what I do on a professional photography, you know, shoot. Um, Instagram is, is very funny to me still because I'm that generation where it went from analog to digital. I remember my last year at college, we were given digital cameras and we kind of tried to figure out what was going on and why it was better or beneficial. And, you know, I, I was a, a film guy until, I don't know, maybe about seven, eight years ago, and I just wouldn't give it up. Hold on tight, then processing costs so much money. And then, you know, uh, doing a shoot for a magazine or for a book, it was it wasn't worth it anymore because of the immediacy of having digital. Um, you know, I think Instagram is that too. Instagram is this immediate thing, whereas I kind of sit and ruminate about photo shoots. You know, I'll go through, I'll edit, I'll sequence, I'll make sure. It's kind of like a layout for a magazine or writing a blog. You want that to be perfect. You want that to associate itself to the text, to the captions. And Instagram sometimes is too fast for that. So I, I use it more for, you know, alluding to things and, and my personal thoughts than I do those those final photos. When he talks about being a guy who held on to film and didn't want to let it go, we were talking before the show and he was saying that he had a picture of the two of us from a past James Beard Awards ceremony. And I said, great, you have to scan it and send it to me. And he said, well, it's a negative. Yeah, yeah. So I have to figure out how to deal with that before <laughs> and I And then you asked me what, what uh, dress you were wearing. Yes. And you're like, was it a kimono or was it what color was it? And like... I'm not sure because it was black and white too. Yeah. You know, on top of that, uh, it just it just seems so far removed from those analog days. You know, um, except for the fact that the majority of filters that I see, even VSCO, which Jilly uh, mentioned, you know, have some kind of basis in, in analog photography. Uh, you had mentioned structure before. One of those Instagram, uh, you know, things that you can tweak. I know it better as unsharp masking, um, where you stacked your negative with a density negative, whether light or heavy density, to create more contrast or less contrast around the contours and edges. So a lot of the filters that I see on these apps are functions of, you know, analog photography. There are a few that aren't. I look at them, I'm like, how the heck did they do that? Like, it blows my mind. And even, like, tilt shift. You know, I see so many people using that, but I know it as the Schleimflug principle. <laughs> that's I, they I wonder, is that a that. hashtag that's a catchy name. I love it I don't no. know why they and I, I feel like hashtag for that. yeah no it's it's a hell of a hell of a name to spell too I bet you those hashtags are how do you spell it I'm gonna Schleim look at S-C-H-E-I-M-P-F-L-U-G uh, yeah, yeah, there is. Yeah. Uh, 431 posts. Only hardcore swine flug. Yeah, yeah. you know what? <laughs> hey, that's the place to go but to get your hardcore. Right yep. Yeah, yeah, get but that's your a tilt shift. <laughs> photo followers. I bet yeah. you if you search tilt shift right now, you'll find hundreds of thousands. Poor okay. old Mr. Schleimflug. <laughs> tilt For- shift. 242,961 on tilt shift. And they're really one in the same. Yeah. But one is really a connoisseur's yeah. hashtag. <laughs> yeah. So, Michael, you use Instagram more in real time and as sort of taking visual notes of things that are happening, it sounds like. Yeah, it, it's spontaneous. It's definitely like a diary, you know, for myself to not just reminisce, but remember jumping off points for other ideas. And again, the hashtag is great because it, it archives, you know, it, it it's searchable. So... Uh, I just did an event last week at the Brooklyn Kitchen with Harry Rosenblum, and it's called Sumo Stew. I went to Japan in November, and I went to a sumo match, and when I came back, I'm like, Harry, this is one of the most amazing sporting events, yet alone cultural events I've ever been to, and there's this food component that I only wish we could share here. And Harry said, okay, let's do that. And we put this together, and uh, now you know we put on three events, a fourth one coming in November. And we asked people to hashtag Sumo Stew because I want to see other people's perspectives and ideas about it. And that influences, you know, how we'll do the next event. 
Um, so it's not just for me. Sometimes it's to gain a point of view from other people uh, experience the same thing that I am. And how do you, when you are taking photos and putting them on Instagram, what is your advice to people in terms of getting the best photo? Do you have retouching apps that you like? Do you have filters that you like? Does everything look better this way, that way? What are the basic principles? Uh, I don't think there are basic principles. I think it's a matter of situation. You know, have intent in what, you know, in what you're going to photograph. Um, obviously, I'm, I'm a big fan of daylight. Um, it's the best and cheapest you know, light source there is. But it also has so many different moods and angles and shadows. It's kind of an amazing thing when you talk about photography these days, how the shift has gone that way um, and how much that benefits Instagram too. Because imagine if you had to do Instagram with a studio setup. I see people holding a second camera up at, you know, dinners, trying to light a dish. Or the and, phone. Yeah. And the flashlight app. Not has only become is that the- annoying to me, um, but it also isn't producing the best photo. So being I have a, to admit, I'm totally guilty. Of yeah, that. I mean, I, 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 I am too every once in a while. Yeah. But, you know, it's better to put yourself in the best situation to take a photo than struggle to take an okay photo. Well, what do you do when you're in a restaurant and it's nighttime and there is no natural light? And as Gilly's guilty, I'm guilty. We have a bunch of people at the table who want to take a photo of the Roberta's Pizza as soon as it comes out and we all somebody holds up their phone to use the flashlight app to light it everybody takes their photo i mean th- that is the solution to that situation um unless you want to there aren't isos necessarily on cameras and in my head i'm like well you just take like a 3200 6400 iso photo maybe really grainy contrasty and make it black and white so it's about representing the photo rather than taking a really beautiful, clear image. But, yeah, I, too, am guilty of the you know, extra <laughs> phone because there is no way around it at that point. Is there a really good uh, photo app that you like in terms of the editing? Are there really great filters? What's your favorite one? VSEO is, is very good um, because it is based in a lot of filters, I know, but it has such a great spectrum. Um, I mean, Instagram is always improving itself uh, with those filters as well. Um, I used to use Snapseed and Afterlight uh, a little bit. Um, But I try to put myself in a situation where I have to edit less. Mm -hmm. Um, When I do have to edit, I definitely go to those and tweak around and try to figure out. But again, you know, I was looking at Gilly's feed. And what's great about it is you have such a consistent style. You know, you picked what works for you and what you like, and, and you, you do that. I may not do that as well as you, <laughs> because I, I kind of am all over the place mm-hmm. in what filters, and I feel like it emotes more this way. And But it, what filters and, and what... Sorry, I'm, I'm not trying to take the interview away from you. It's just natural. Um, what filters and what is your personal style? Sure. Um, well, I think that's great that you said that, because that's the other tip I give people choose a style, choose a voice and stick to it because that's what gets you devoted followers and coming back because they know what to expect from your feed and from your photos. Um, I would say my personal style, as you have probably seen, and if anyone at home follows me or is looking at my Instagram right now, I love bright, vivid colors. Um, I sort of like to crowd the image. I think a lot of Instagram today, a lot of the bigger photographers are minimalists And I think those are beautiful, but there's a lot of them. So, you know, I sort of go the other route and make things, you know, just sort of these lush, vibrant images that really like when you want to stop and look at them and be like, wow, what is that? I want to eat that or I want to go there. Um, I don't I don't use any of the Instagram filters. I don't think I have since I discovered Visco. I think I can look at it specifically if any Visco nerds are out there, which of the um, VSCO filters I use. But even that I only use pretty sparingly. Um, I think it's C3. Visco rates them from like C0 to whatever. Um, no, C1. Sorry. So I use C1 a little bit, but you know I always amplify a tiny bit the saturation. I like a lot of contrast. Um, but really anything that makes the colors pop, you mentioned Snapseed, I'll use that very occasionally if there's one specific spot in the photo or one specific color that I really want to um, 
be boosted if anyone out there doesn't know what Snapseed is. It's Google's photo photo editing app, which is really good. It's really capable, but it's a little complicated yeah. if you're not, you, you know, most of the time you don't have that much time to edit photos. And you don't want to take it. You don't want to occupy your it's whole day. It's a little day. more Photoshop-y. It's almost yeah, it's worth like fo- exporting yeah. to Photoshop and then importing back in. Yeah, so you know, so you can selectively edit colors and boost them, and and so that's a good app for that. But definitely, my style is bold and bright, um, and I think that's what people expect from my feed. And I think anyone out there looking to grow your your fan base on Instagram, that's the number one thing you have to think about. What do I want my look to be? Because you don't want people saying, well, where did this come from? What is that? That that doesn't look like you at all. Or or your captions, that doesn't sound like you. You know, stick to one thing and really own it and make that your voice, make that your style. I also noticed you have a lot of round shapes, plates, <laughs> the, you know, the cinnamon bun, sure. the pie, all those kinds of things if you scroll through and... You know, it's, that's interesting. Also, everything is kind of soft and round and yeah. circular. Hashtag round foods. Hashtag round yeah. foods. Exactly. <laughs> that's my new hashtag. <laughs> so, Michael, you are a person and a radio show like myself. So you have multiple things happening in social media. You have Michael Harlan Tarkell. You have the food scene. You differentiate your personal sort of note taking on Instagram versus your professional life as a photographer. Does that change what you post and what your subject matter is? Uh, I mean, there are some consistent things across the platforms, but um, I think each one has its own iteration of, well, my voice. Um, so, yeah, there, there are some things that I will put on even Facebook and that, that won't go on anything else. The food scene, I think, is more oriented to what's on the show, food radio, podcast. Um, I am terrible, and you guys can both help me out. At, at having that engagement and community. And I think it's partially because I'm a photographer and a podcaster that I like being behind the lens and behind the mic, and I don't like being the subject. And I feel like once you start engaging like that, you, you are a subject. You, you are something that people recognize as a person, as a voice, and I'm a little bit of an introvert. Mm-hmm. Um, but you, you've been a person and a voice and the subject for close to five years as a radio yeah. show host yeah i mean that's not anonymous and behind the scenes yeah well it, i don't have to answer that much about myself it, it's still you and your yeah. name and your voice and your ideas and it's something i'm trying to get over something i'm trying to figure out like how to embrace more than keep my distance from it can definitely be a little odd because i think also a thing that's unique about my account that a lot of people wonder about is a lot of food accounts will be completely anonymous pretty much and their and their name will be you know food pics you know that's their username and they don't post photos of themselves and since mine is just my name and i will post the occasional photo of myself it's really interesting when you know, I go to events or even just get approached by people. And, you know, in my mind, I'm not like some sort of celebrity that like anyone would recognize ever. So when it happens, I'm usually like, oh, you know, nice to meet you. Um, and then it's also interesting meeting other people who I follow and I've interacted with on Instagram because sometimes you have no clue what they look like, you know, even what their gender is, how old they are. And you meet them and you're like, whoa, this is like a whole new world. At this stage of the game, Gilly, do you have a sense of a difference between your public food journalist, food work life and your personal life? Because it's still just your name. Do mm-hmm. you, Michael has a differentiation between his work life, his radio show host life, and then his personal life. Mm-hmm. I have a differentiation between Tech Bytes HRN, which is the handle for Instagram and Twitter, and there's a Facebook page. And then I have my own personal account which is m-m-e-s-n-a-c-k on twitter and instagram Mm -hmm. and i've tried to separate the two a little bit totally well i think for me especially because i work in food it all tends to bleed together a little bit and um i think there's also you have to think about the different social platforms and what their use is if i take a selfie with what with my friends at one of their birthday parties i know that my 40,000 followers do not care about that picture. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm well aware of that. And so that's something that I'll put up on Facebook. Or if I take a picture of, you know, a, a funny looking dog on the street, I'll post that on Twitter. Unless your friend is Christina Tosi. Yeah, exactly. Or, you know, the fact of the matter is if April you, you want to, if you want to build a community of people on Instagram, 
most likely, unfortunately, unless you are a celebrity or you look like a Victoria's Secret model or, you know, you're a billionaire flying jets around the world, most people are, aren't probably going to care about care about pictures of you and your friends and that's sort of a sacrifice that you have to make um but luckily for me i work somewhere i work in what i'm passionate about i work in food so you know i'm always around it i'm always thinking about it so in that way it all sort of blends together and i really don't feel i feel like people get a pretty good feel of who i am through my instagram because my tone is just very personal it's what i'm thinking it's what i'm doing um so you know there's not that much separation do you there. feel like you live a lot of your life in public, online, and social media from one from one channel to the next? I do, definitely. Um, but I also grew up in a generation where that's pretty much all we've known. I think that's a very different concept to people who didn't grow up. But because I don't really remember a time that much before the Internet. I'm only 22 years old. So we've sort of grown up sharing our every moment. And it's actually great because... My mom can, if I don't have time to call her for a few weeks, when I call her up, she still knows what's been happening in my life. Or my friends who live around the country, around the world, still know what's happening in my life via Snapchat. So I think that is really the benefit of it. Um, you know, will one day I'll say, will I say, I need more space, I need to be more private? Probably, most likely. But at this point, it, you know, I don't mind sharing my life with people. I think that's the point of Instagram. How about you, Michael? How do you feel about sharing your life with people? Because <laughs> you're, you're of a different, you know, you and I are of a different generation. I think, you know, in terms of the timeline of generations, AOL, the starting point for AOL is 1985, pretty much. So that's the last 30 years. And you can kind of track that with the different generations and how much technology they grew up living with. Do you, you how do you feel about living a large piece of your life publicly online well first i'd like to say i still have an aol account that's yep. the only i know select people who have people AOL. to know um my favorite ones are the hotmail accounts yeah yeah <laughs> my wife has one of those um publicly it's it's a funny word because you can still curate your public absolutely um and, and you can curate what you share yeah and i i feel that i have a really um fascinating and kind of quality network of people that I share this information with and that respond back in this wonderful way. And, uh, like I'm going to Europe in, you know, later this year and I'm asking people like, where do you go in Vienna? And even once I'll be in Vienna, you know, if I post a picture there, people are like, Oh, I love this place around the mm -hmm. corner. And I almost think it's harder for Gilly with that many followers to vet through what is good and bad of those comments. And I think I've almost curated myself, um, you know, this kind of network of people because I know the quality of response. Um, and also, I just find it so overwhelming to even think about 40,000 followers. <laughs> I mean, because that Sometimes engagement. Sometimes I do, too. Yeah. <laughs> because, I mean, I, I have a select group of friends that I hang out with, too. And then you introduce somebody else into the fold and you have to like re-explain yourself. Like I'm comfortable and I, I like being comfortable, but I'm trying to push myself past that and be uncomfortable and share more and do more. And it's about straddling that line, you know, making sure that you feel okay with what you're doing, but also pushing yourself past that comfort zone. Well, to both of you in terms of the comfort zone and the line, where is the line for each of you in terms of what you will not share and what you consider to be so private that you won't put online into social media? We don't need specifics. Obviously, <laughs> if you want to keep it private, we don't want to put it out in the world. But are there conceptually categories of things or types of things that you would not post or would not want to get out to the 40,000 I mean, like I said, when you when you choose the medium that you want to work with, when you choose the subject you want to work with, you should stick with that, if, if not for anything, for the sake of your followers, because there are certain things that they don't want to see. And of course, um, you know, if you are a public persona, if you do have a public account, I mean, it's funny, you mentioned it's overwhelming and it and it is to me, it's it's honestly odd because it doesn't feel like a huge group of people. It feels like a small, tight-knit community. And I, you know, I, I think of followers as friends, so I don't mind sharing personal parts of my life with them. But obviously, you know, there are certain personal aspects of your life that you're not going to 
share online. Trust me, when I go on dates, I'm not pulling out my photo on a first on my phone on a first date and saying, "Hey, can I Instagram this pizza and say that we're on a first date?" Never. You know that type of thing is where you draw the line, and you know friends or family members who would rather you, they have their life private. Um, so I think it really depends on the situation and you're in and who you're with. What about you, Michael? Where's your line? I don't know yet. Like, I'm not sure. Um, some of my favorite photographers, like, one of my favorite ever is Nan Golden. And Nan Golden, I mean, it's, it's like, viciously real. Uh, the truth that she showed of, of her, her addictions, her relationships. Um, yeah, there are very personal things in my life that I don't share. I mean, I don't even do selfies. I mean, I, I don't like putting myself on there um again i think i chose to be a photographer and on radio so no one i hold the power of being behind the lens and not showing myself and that's the kind of person i am um another one of oh now i'm getting <laughs> a picture of me taken i can feel it happening too um, <laughs> he's starting to sweat a little yeah. bit he's getting a little red <laughs> but then one of my other favorites is eugene richards um who was this photographer who embedded himself in these communities for years he did this book called Cocaine True, Cocaine Blue in Dorchester, Mass, and lived in the projects with these people. Um, and they trusted him. They trusted him so wholeheartedly, you know, that he had people's lives in his hands. I mean, he attended uh, weddings and funerals, and they, they cared for him like one of, you know, their own. And I almost feel like that's how I feel about the food industry or, or the culinary world. You know, I've been in it for so long, and I'm unabashedly private um and maybe that's humility or maybe it's just my own you know demons of not wanting my photo being taken um but that's where i've gained my strength and trust and i just have a hard time thinking about being in front of the lens or, or posting selfies or being unabashedly you know personal sometimes interesting unabashedly private photographer doing work for public consumption yeah. <laughs> well, at the end of each episode of Tech Bytes, I always like to ask my guests for a little piece of advice for our listeners. So, Michael, I will start off with you. What is your best quick tips for beautiful photography on Instagram? Um, go to a museum. <laughs> go to an art gallery. Look at other people's photographs and, you know, obviously on Instagram, but also look at how they're hung on the wall and photo books um, but also look at things that aren't photographic and think about art and design in, in different ways, too, because that can influence how you approach a subject and, you know, how you approach your personal style. So develop your eye. Yeah. Develop your critical artistic design eye. Absolutely. Excellent. That's a great piece of advice. It also gets you out into the world, which I like. Mm -hmm. Gilly, what's your best advice to people for growing their Instagram followers? I would say just start with really finding your look and your sound and your voice. And when you when you finally find that and you're doing it well, people will come to you. And I think it's all about authenticity. I think don't try to if you're not naturally funny, don't try to sound funny. If you're not naturally someone who speaks intellectually, don't speak intellectually. And, and I think when people get a sense that they know who you are, they're going to be more inclined to follow you and interact with you and comment and like your photos and really want to be part of your your life through your Instagram. Fantastic. That and get your hashtag game on. Get your hash mm -hmm. up your hashtag game. Stop <laughs> hashtagging hashtag. Nothing generic. Cake. Be specific. Hashtag ice cream. Well, I want to thank Gilly and Michael for coming out to Roberta's to be on this episode of Tech Bytes, our Instagram bootcamp episode. It was really good. And I have some great takeaways, which we will be implementing on the Tech Bytes HRN Instagram feed. I want to thank the International Culinary Center for sponsoring this show and the thousands of other shows on heritageradionetwork.org. If you enjoyed this, come back and listen again on Monday at 1 p.m. If you really loved it, go to the website and click the beating heart and throw us a few dollars. You know, like, what'd you spend on coffee today? Nine bucks? Send us that. It'll make more radio. I'm Jennifer Leitz, your host. This is Tech Bytes. Next up, a short clip of The Farm Report.
the beauty of edible insects is that we mitigate a lot of the, the potential harms that we've seen so far. So, for instance, if your concern is a zoonosis or a, an animal-to-human disease, things like mad cow disease, avian flu has been particularly pertinent recently here in the U.S. Aspire USA's Robert Nathan Allen joins episode 247 of The Farm Report to discuss the low risks involved with eating insects, especially given that it is a new and controlled industry, as well as the environmental benefits of doing so. Insects are so far genetically removed from humans that there, there is no risk of that sort of transmission from animal to human. So right there we have a very big benefit. The insects don't have to be raised using hormones or antibiotics, which is another very pertinent concern in the livestock industry. The amount of antibiotics that we have to use and the effects that has on the population, we don't have that problem. And then when we're talking about regulation, again, this is a brand new industry and the industry is ahead of the regulations right now because, you know, organizations like the FDA and the USDA, they move at a pace that that is very cautious. And the industry as a whole has been very good about being in constant touch with our municipal and our state health departments, our federal regulatory agencies like FDA and USDA, to make sure that we're abiding by any and all potentially applicable rules. We follow all of the standard good manufacturing practices. We have a a HASPA plan in place, which is quickly becoming the the industry standard. And, And like I said, we're open to working with those regulatory agencies, not just to make sure that we're doing it right, but also to make sure that the rules that are put into place are applicable and effective and don't allow the bar to start too low. One of the the early guidance we, we got from the FDA is that food products made for humans cannot use insects that are wild harvested or grown for feed, for lizard food or for bait. And so I think that's, that's a perfect example of the FDA, while not having any official rules, giving very clear guidance to the industry to say that if you're going to use this as a human food, it has to be treated like a human food. And so we've worked with those agencies so that when those rulings do become official, it will be difficult for somebody to introduce a low-quality product into the industry. And I think if, at the end of the day, that's a good safeguard for consumers. This was an excerpt from episode 247 of The Farm Report. Got your stomach rumbling? Head on over to the Farm Report show page on heritageradionetwork.org for all archived episodes, extra bonus content, and more. The Farm Report is also available on iTunes. Heritage Radio Network is a member-supported nonprofit organization broadcasting over 30 live shows a week. To learn more and donate, visit our website or connect with us on iTunes, Stitcher, Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, and Instagram for more. Thanks for listening.